0: Hi this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode I'd like to talk about what investment opportunities and risks 2020 might bring. So with 2019 uh, drawing to a close, can you actually believe it? I mean seriously it felt like uh, we were just returning from the Christmas break uh, yesterday. But anyway, just around the corner, I thought it might be good just to sort of reflect on, uh, you know, what what I think might occur next year, and but most importantly, what you can do about it uh, from your own personal wealth accumulation perspective. Um, you know, I've found it best to kind of inform my opinions on markets and economies uh, by doing a couple of things. Firstly, reading analysis uh, insights and going to economic briefings, but I've always been careful not to overindulge in that. Amount of information so sometimes you can go to too many briefings um, and end up sort of uh, going down a bit of a rabbit hole in terms of what you think uh, might be occurring so you it's best to sort of take in some of it uh, and stand back and then sort of just digest it and take that holistic view but you also should complement some of that sort of stuff with some real world observations so you know things like and it's something sort of anecdotal evidence but you know discussions with business people in different industries you know even observing retail traffic on historically busy times of the week like Saturday morning for example if it's very very quiet on a Saturday morning uh, you know uh, potentially retail has some problems and so forth. So that's how I've um, uh, formed my impression about different markets and the economy over the last 20 years and and the approach has served me relatively well. Although, um, you know, there's that saying that there's two types of economists, the first type being those that don't know what's going to happen next, uh, and the second type being those that don't know, that they don't know that's uh, what's going to happen uh, next. Uh, in essence, Forecasting is inherently difficult and uh, longitudinal studies have shown that, you know, um, it's. It, it, most people don't get it right. It's really a, uh, the chances or probability of getting it right is like a flip of a coin. Um, but be that as it may, it's always good to uh, at least... I guess, build your investment strategy and make your investment decisions to try and accommodate some of the risks and opportunities that might be presented in the market, but not take massive bets. What That's what I'm suggesting. So that is, you might tilt or you might you know say, oh, look, I'll make this investment before this one. Um, you could make either and in the long term, it would work out well, but what you're trying to do is just accommodate some of those risks. And that's what I'm uh, thinking about when I Uh, sit down and I I wrote this, uh, this blog, which obviously I'm podcasting today. Okay, so let's talk about, firstly, the economy and the risk of recession, because there's been a bit of press lately about potentially Australia slipping into a recession or other developed economies, particularly the U.S., um, now if we if we focus our discussion on Australia it's in its 28th year of uninterrupted economic expansion so that is GDP has grown for 28 consecutive years uh, which is a world record in the developed uh, out of all developed economies um, but like all records they've got to end someday um, that said population growth and raw materials in particular iron ore exports have been really big contributors to our economy over recent decades and i just don't see that changing anytime soon you know the iron ore price is high exports are high uh, population growth is strong um overseas uh, migration is strong and all these things uh you know really drive the economy Uh, and unless we believe or we change a view on those uh two inputs i think because i think they're the two major inputs uh you know, then I, I can't really see us... Uh, of course, we're, our growth is slowing and it's slower, but in terms of uh, two consecutive quarters of negative growth, which is uh, by definition a recession, uh, I, I, you know, I think I, I can't really see that happening. Of course, there's some sectors of the economy that are struggling. For example, retail sales have been uh, flat in, in the year to uh, September 2019, based on ABS data. Um, and really, the, uh, the weakness in retail sales has been uh, really manifested in two categories, household goods uh, and department store sales. So household goods are probably down because of the property market, uh, you know, being off the boil uh, and having some issues over the last couple of years. So that, that impacts uh, sentiment, demand, you know, people go buy a new house, they typically go and uh, buy some new white goods to go along with that house. Um, and transactional volumes in the property market are down. Department store, uh, department store sales, obviously that's uh, been a, a longer-term theme, uh, really with online uh, competition. Uh, wage inflation has been low. Uh, the wage price index came in at uh, 2.2%. Uh, prior to early 2013, the index was uh, typically almost always above 3%, and it peaked at 4% uh, just prior to the GFC. So certainly wage growth... Uh, is pretty benign, but that's a, that's a common trait uh, across the globe um, and might have to do with things like uh, demographics and um, technology and productivity and these sorts of things. Uh, in terms of globally, uh, the US probably deserves most of the attention given it's the biggest developed economy in the world uh, and also tends to impact sentiment at a global level. Um, the Fed Reserve has been cutting interest rates uh, this year, and still probably has some way to go to sort of cut some more uh, rates. President Trump has, you know, called for more aggressive rate cutting. Um, I think he wants the the U.S. dollar to devaluate. and even he's asked the or pressured the Fed Reserve to start quantitative easing again, uh, which is a way of uh, increasing money flow into the economy and what the The central bank does is go and buy bonds uh, so that money's going into the economy Um, uh, but they're they're not talking about doing that yet and obviously uh, Trump just wants to I guess artificially stimulate the U.S. economy so it keeps growing so he gets re-elected and so forth I I think the obviously the result of the interest rate um, cuts in the U.S. will probably see the U.S. dollar devalue over time uh, that's probably good for them and their their economy. Um, and if you're travelling to the US, you know, um, as I did recently, uh, it's good from a, a cost perspective as well. So on the whole, I think a recession in Australia or the US in 2020, I think it's unlikely. You know, I think rate cuts in the US will keep stimulating that economy. Artificially, you know, does it create longer-term issues? Maybe, but if we're just looking at 2020... Um, and also, I don't think uh, will, uh, Australia will slip into a recession, but of course, um, I think these economies will keep growing, but maybe just at a, a slower rate. Uh, if we turn our attention to interest rates, uh, interestingly, the Reserve Bank Governor uh, made a speech on Tuesday night, uh, that is the 26th of November 2019, uh, and said that it's happy to cut rates uh, and it would rather see the... Benchmark interest rate down to 0.25 of a percent. It's currently um, 0.75. Before they even consider quantitative easing, and the government said previously, look, it's it's now the um, it's now the government's uh, time to really loosen fiscal policy and start spending and so forth. Uh, When I look at interest rates, I normally defer to Westpac's chief economist Bill Evans, as I found him to be really consistently the most accurate over the years. That's not to say he gets every call right, but he's certainly got more right than he's got wrong. And Bill's forecasting only one interest rate cut in uh, 2020 in the first quarter, Uh, so somewhere in that February, March. They don't meet in January. Uh, The big question, however, is uh, even if the RBA cuts rates, will the banks pass it on? Um, I don't think so. I think the banks will continue to do what they've done over the last couple of rate cuts, which is, Pass on about 0.15 of a percent to most borrowers, but pass the full cut on to interest-only investment loans to try and stimulate that um, uh, that that sort of level or, or demand for um, housing investment loans, uh, and also close the gap between you know what they're charging between principal interest and interest-only repayments. Um, after the rate cuts are finished, I don't. There's, you know, I don't think there's a lot the the RBA can do, and really it's up to, um, as I said, the Australian government to um, to stimulate the economy. The good thing is Australia's debt levels are relatively low compared to other developed countries, um, and commodity prices are high, which means they've got plenty of fuel in the tank uh, to spend a little bit more, particularly on infrastructure, which as a as a which isn't a bad idea for a country that has such uh, strong population growth. Uh, in terms of property market, what will property do in 2020? Well, I've shared my view uh, in September in regards to that. I said I believe that um, price growth will be good, but it won't get out of control, and mainly constrained by the tighter credit market. Um, uh, certainly things have improved over recent months and weeks, even the last couple of months Sales volumes have uh, doubled or almost tripled really since uh, the winter, so since sort of July ish uh, months in dollar value um, perspective. So, about half a billion worth of properties sold in Melbourne on average over the last couple of weekends in Melbourne. Uh, remember, the peak is closer to a billion dollars, uh, but you know, half a billion dollars is still up on you know, the $150 million that was being sold in the middle of winter. Uh, so with that, uh, vendors' expectations uh, change as well. You know, people starting to think, okay, now might be the time to sell. Uh, and so I think stock levels will rise um, in 2020 and we'll just see the the confidence in the property market continue to uh, improve. Uh, with respect to equity markets, so that is share markets. Um, obviously, the share markets over the last decade have benefited greatly from a low interest rate environment and relatively loose monetary policy, uh, aka quantitative easing, um, as well as the economic expansion in the US has been um, pretty significant it's into its 10th year of expansion uh, circa. So um, our valuations seem to be pretty high, particularly in the US, but to a lesser extent in Australia. And really, I think they're two markets or asset classes that represent the best value at the moment. Uh, UK and emerging markets and I did a podcast last week on investing in emerging markets so I'll leave that one alone. In terms of the UK it's trading at relatively similar levels to what it was trading at in 1999. Uh, It's got a market yield, the FTSE 100's got a market yield of 4.8% so even the dividend income is pretty strong uh, and its um, uh, price to book ratio is, um, is very low, it's nearly half that of what the US looks like. So it looks cheap and arguably I'd say that the market's probably factored in um, all of the risks associated with Brexit. So naturally you think, well what, what's Brexit going to do? Um, but there's two things, the market's probably already fully reflected that in the current prices and then, secondly, you know the the companies that are on the FTSE 100 are global companies, um, British American Tobacco, um, uh, HSBC, um, uh, BP. You know th- these sorts of institutions are global, um, and they would have had uh, the last three years to really prepare for what Brexit might bring as well. So, I don't know what. Um, equity markets will do, and I'm certainly not going to try and guess. I mean, a level of volatility in equity markets is, is high and any, you know, anything could happen. But I do know that you know, studies have shown that starting market valuations is a reliable predictor to long-term returns. So that is if you invest in markets why they um, they look like good value, so they're you know, below intrinsic value, then you, in the long run your returns are probably going to good. If you invest in markets when valuations are very high, well, your upside is very limited and your long-term returns are are, are low. So um, skew your investments then towards markets that represent the best value. Uh, With bond yields being um, low and uncertainty in regards to equity markets, valuations being high, um, a lot more people are looking to sort of alternative asset class investments um, and, you know, that could be really two sectors, uh, commercial real estates so or what's called uh, listed uh, real estate investments, trusts or REITs uh, is the acronym, or infrastructure. Uh, so uh, both those are relatively defensive investments that generate uh, higher levels of income. So they could be, a, a you know, a, a good sort of proxy for a, a bond exposure, for example. Um, but be careful because... Uh, you know both uh, the the reits index and the infrastructure index indexes have returned about uh, north of twelve percent over the last five years, so I think a lot of people are starting to think this way, um, and uh, you know have pushed uh, prices higher. So you wouldn't be very selective about what investments you might make in that um, that space. Um, so what do you do with all this information? I think in simple terms, my advice is still to play the long game. Uh, which I talk about really is number one rule in uh, the first rule I should say that I address in the book Investopoly. (laughs) So stick to your long-term investment strategy. Don't divert from that. Jump at shadows or try and make massive bets depending on uh, based on your view of what might happen next year. Uh, Play that long game, but also don't be blind to the risks and opportunities. So if you're investing, for example, in markets or asset classes that seem overvalued or risky, then certainly consider doing two things. One, underweighting your allocation. So, you know, if your long-term allocation is 60% in the US market, for example, you might be at 50% today. Um, And then secondly, using value-based investment strategies, still rules-based strategies, uh, but trying to protect your uh, downside there. Otherwise, look for markets that represent the best value. Stick to time-tested, rules-based, well-diversified evidence-based investment strategies so no throwing darts at a dartboard and in the long run this approach will pay handsome dividends uh so that's it for this week uh i hope that's been of interest of course there's more information in the show notes and the blog on uh my website uh and until next week take care bye for now